Today's episode is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia. Originally created for the US military, Military Energy Gum has now been widely used as a caffeine supplement in elite sports all over the world. It comes in three different flavors in cinnamon, arctic mint, and my personal favorite, spearmint. And with 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, it's a really simple, quick, cheap, and tasty way of getting your caffeine fix. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's very special guest is a dear friend of mine. He's played over 50 games for the Waratahs. He's been on a Wallaby tour. He's captained his club team, Southern Districts, and he's close to 100 first grade games. He's arguably the greatest Greater Western Sydney Ram of all time and is currently playing for the Toyota Verblitz in the Japan Top League. During the conversation, at times, because he's such a good friend, I forgot that other people might listen to this, so I've had to cut bits out that other people might not want made public. Also, at the end of the conversation, I forgot that I needed to uh, that I wanted to ask Jed about his work with the Starlight Foundation, which is something that he's done for a long time, is very proud of, and he's done he's doing some good things there. So I wanted to make sure that I shared that in this podcast. So, without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my friend Jed Holloway. Make sure it's recording. Three, two, one. We're live. Welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Jed Holloway, COVID survivor. How are you, brother? <laughs> I'm good, bro. How are you? Good, mate. Good. So we're just talking before about you actually have COVID. How how you been feeling? What's uh What's it like? Yeah, well, um, for, it's funny because most of the time, like. I think like many people thought it was a bit of a myth going on and like a lot of people have probably seen it's it's coming through Japan quite rapidly and you know it's a bit of a challenge for the, the team moving forward but fortunately one of our blokes come down with it and then um yeah do they know do they know how he got it no nah, no nah, that's it that's the thing but you know rugby being such a close contact you yeah. know you you in huddles constantly tackling and sweating and bleeding on other blokes. So um, knocked out about 14 of our team and, you know, I was a, I was a lucky one to be one of those guys. So um, it, it's knocked me around a fair bit, eh? Like it, yeah, you sent me, you sent me a voice <laughs> recording of yourself maybe four days ago, five days ago. And yeah. you, you sounded terrible, but you've... <laughs> You're almost, you're almost back yeah. to normal. Are you feeling all right now? Yeah, I still got like a mild cough, but that's about it. But yeah, when I see that recording, like my symptoms were a bit different. Like I didn't get fevers, had my smell and taste and everything, but my throat just got so swollen and it felt like I had really bad tonsillitis. Yeah. And for one night there, I started getting these real bad chest pains and thought, messaged my wife and, and talked to my mum. I'm on my last legs here like was it that but, bad um, uh, just in the moment like i think i think there's the stigma of it all it's quite scary like knowing that it has killed people and people have really had difficulties with it and yeah. you know me being by myself in japan not knowing the medical system not knowing who to call if you know something did go i, I think it got to me a fair bit and um yeah scared scared me a little bit so um may have overreacted a little bit my wife will probably say i oh, yeah. Well, it's um, it's probably 
like I was saying, to, I was talking to Kane Doug yesterday and, you know, we had like nine COVID cases here before Christmas and the whole world shuts down here. Yeah. And um, he was saying at one point in France, there's like 50,000 new cases a day, yeah. you know, and they're just going on as per normal. So what's yeah. it like, what's it like in Japan at the moment? It's, it's or can you tell can you tell what's can you tell what's going on with all the the language barrier? Uh, no, no. I was actually just talking to one of the Aussie boys who's up in Tokyo, and as you know, Tokyo is in a state of emergency, so they're basically. I'm not sure if it's full lockdown, but I think they're starting to push towards that, which is massive for Japan because they love to keep their economy going. Absolutely. And he said that he's. He's listening to a translator who's translating Japanese news for him. Yeah. And he said that he wished that he didn't do that because now it's just heightened his senses to it all. For for a long time, like I didn't I didn't even know what was going on here. Like, you know, you wouldn't hear about it or for us Aussies or English speaking guys, like you wouldn't know about that it was so bad in the country. Like but it is, it is quite a challenge. And I think just today they've announced that the Olympics are cancelled as well. So. Uh, so, so the, the, so they'd re, so they, sorry, I can't think properly. So they, they were going to have the Olympics 2021 and now they've just cancelled it. I think so. Yeah. I think that's what I read in the media today. Like I think, you know, oh, fuck. Um, I don't see how they're going to do it, man, to be honest. Like it's fucking crazy here at the moment in terms of COVID. Um, have they given oh, you? Sorry, you go, you go. I, I, I don't see how they're going to push forward with our competition, to be honest with you. But um, you know, it's definitely going to be different, and there's going to be challenges to overcome. And you know, we just got to try to be flexible and, and keep on moving forward. What have they given you any medication or anything, or is it literally you just got to battle it out? And if you get real bad, you got to go to hospital. This is the Japanese cold and flu right here. It looks like a strange white substance. <laughs> but, uh, we've never seen that kind of thing before. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you basically just pour the lid off that and smack that down your throat. And I think that's just paracetamol and that. But that's basically all they've given me is um, that. And I think, you know, anything really treated over here is basically treated with green tea and rest, you know? Yeah. A, a few of the boys, a boy blew his ACL, MCL, PCL, Basically, he's holding me out in one of our trial games, and he wasn't given a green whistle. He just had to sit on the sideline and just wait, wait for just get a you know, cup of bus. rice tea or something. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. <laughs> like, there's no no medication offered. Like, you know, there is if you really do need it, but like, yeah. you got to you got to push quite hard. I think. Um, where where in Japan are you? So I'm in Nagoya. Um, basically, if you look at the Japanese map and you look at Tokyo and Osaka, we're kind of smack bang in the middle on the on the coastline there. Okay. Have you? So something I've wanted to ask is, what is a Verb Blitz? So you're playing for for anyone who might be listening. A Toyota Verb Blitz is the team you're now playing for. <laughs> what What is a Verb Blitz? Um, this is a great question. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> On all our, on all our, like our, our mascot, I guess, is it looks like a little elf thing on here in the back here. Doesn't have any stuff on it. Yeah, it's basically like a little, a little elf type looking thing thrown a lightning bolt. So something along those lines, I guess. 
Um, now, for for those of us who don't who aren't familiar with Japanese rugby, how how's it set up? It's a company run system. Yeah. So all the all the um, all the franchises or all the all the teams, are, I guess, are run by are run by you know major companies. So we're we're Toyota. You've got Coca Cola, um, Panasonic, you know NEC. They're all running these teams. So um, basically. It's kind of similar to, I'd say, Sydney club rugby in in terms of you're playing with guys who, you know, they're living as they work for the company, um, and then you've got these sprinkle of foreigners who are come, who they bring in as professionals. Um, so, a lot of our guys work, you know, two three days a week, um, full time, and then the other days where they aren't working. They start at sort of, you know, they finish work at one o'clock in the arbor, and that's when our training starts. So uh, Monday, Monday, Thursday, you know, our training doesn't start until one or two in the afternoon because we've got to we've got to accommodate for the the company boys still getting their hours in. Are they mostly Japanese guys? Yeah, yeah, they're all Japanese guys. Yeah. Um. So how how is life? <laughs> over there can you can you go out and do much have you been able to see anything do anything like um, how, how do you how do you spend your days well we've got a great bunch of foreigners here like we've got um you know a couple of world-class internationals but they're honestly just great genuine blokes and they we all we do quite well just to spend time with each other um because it nagoya is not the most you know, exciting city. I think it's actually renowned to be the most boring city in Japan. Um, so, you know, there's not much other than shopping here. So the boys just go play golf. Um, in the week off, we went up to, me and a couple of other boys went up to Hapuba, which is uh, a snow resort. About I saw some of your Instagram stuff. That looked pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then, Basically, now that the things are starting to time up, we've got team protocols in place where basically now all we can do is train, come back home, get our recovery. We can't, we can only go out to like basically like the NRL bubble had. Yeah. Can't go out and sit down at cafes, can only get takeaway food and just do essential shopping. So um, mm-hmm. starting to tighten up now, now that COVID's getting worse, but you know, it is what it is. Um, we'll talk about some of your teammates in a little bit, but. Do they know how the Japanese comp's going to work? Is it is it? Let's just if someone gets COVID, we just lock it down and then we replay those games, or is it a wait and see type thing? Well, it originally was. Um, so if you got if a team, one person in your team got COVID, the whole team would shut down for two weeks. Yeah. And whatever games that team would play, they were going to be a draw for both teams, but. Um, the way the like first week of the competition was meant to happen last weekend, and I think like six or seven teams had multiple cases of COVID, um, and so they couldn't really play round one. So I think the the big dogs of the league had to all sit down and put their heads together, and they were like, "All right, we'll postpone it. Um, we're going to start it at a later date. Uh, I think that's yet to come out, but." Um, I think it's like mid-February or something. It's just going to be a shortened season. Um, and then they're going to try and make it work from there. I think the same protocols are in place in, in terms of if one person gets it, then you have the whole team shuts down, which which sucks. It's, it's a kick in the guts because like 
we've we've worked so hard in pre-season and we're starting to you know you know how it is the excitement slowly builds for round one and in japan you play you know eight trial games building up to a season so you're, you're keen to sort of get going again and then you know a week out from our season we have these this covid these covid cases and the whole program has to shut down and we literally can't do anything like we can't lift we can't we can't run and as you know like although we probably don't like to think it's an important part of footy um it, it it is and you know that's where injuries come into play and they have to reassess the whole thing yeah and you know from another point of view you're having two weeks off where you can do literally nothing and then you're going back into full training you got to get reconditioned to contact you know and that yeah. that's exactly when injuries happening who you said you got a couple of big name internationals who are they we got we're lucky enough to have hoops uh, Michael Hooper, Kieran Reid, and uh, Willie LaRue. In my opinion, are probably at different parts of their career, they're the three best individuals in those those positions in the world. What's it? Uh, um, what's it? What's it like being around those guys? Have you taken anything away from them in terms of how they handle themselves off field? Uh, what are they like as guys? All that sort. Of, what's their work ethic around training? They're just they're just good dudes. Like. Obviously, I've, I've known Hoops for nine years now, so, but it's, it's been really, you know, refreshing to see him in a different environment other than the Waratahs or Australian rugby. Um, I'd imagine he'd be a say, lot more relaxed. Yeah, exactly. Like, not to say that he was uptight at, before, but, you know, he's carrying the weight of the Wallabies captaincy, the, the Waratahs captaincy, and, you know, they're the pressure of the media who, you know, we know Australian media, they're, they're on your case if you aren't getting wins. So he's he's constantly got his guard up. And then to see the the hoops that I've seen over here is, you know, it's just the side which you, you most people don't know, but your, your surfy side of hoops, which are more relaxed. And, and, and it's really awesome to see. And, um, you know, I'm sure he'll learn off guys like Rita and Willie. Like Willie's... Willie's just all about footy, like in terms of, you know, doesn't believe in, you know, smashing gym out or or working too hard. He's all about turning up and playing Saturday. And, um, you know, I've got two players who, like, in my whole career that I've played with who are just special like that. And one's Curtly Beal and the other one's him. Like, they, they just have so much time and space when they play footy and the stuff that they see on a field and, you play with Willie and I've only played like two or three games with him and he commentates the whole time. Like he's, he's telling you to run lines and then he pass you the ball, you hit a line. And if he likes it, he starts cheering for you mid the middle of the game as he's still going. Like it's awesome energy to feed off and it's just fun to be a part of him. And then um, Kieran, like is obviously his, his resume speaks for itself. And, um, you know, it's funny actually, we're, we're, sitting down before all this stuff hit and we're talking about hoops coming over here and stuff like that and um, how he'd feel about it and like how he's excited to meet him and stuff like that. And he, he was talking about, you know, the pressures, like I asked him about his, his experience over here and he's like, look, it's, it's been really good. You know, for a long time I was taking, you know, footy home with him and, you know, all the pressure of his whole career was sort of building on him and it was kind of good to escape that stuff. And he's like, I hope, you know, Hoops 
you know, does the same thing because it does, like he's had a lot of games and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, but you've come from the most successful team in the world, the All Blacks and the Crusaders, who have come from a winning culture. And you're saying you're wound down like that. And then Hoops has come from, you know, we've had sprinkles of success, but, you know, a lot of losing in our past. And uh, the pressures of there, so imagine how he's feeling. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, well, could you imagine being it. the most famous man in the country? I, I just and, and the national sport pastime and a lot of their culture is around the success yeah. of the All Blacks. And yeah, he's, one, he's the captain, two-time World Cup winner, and one of the greatest ever. I, I yeah. could only imagine it would be a good experience for him being in Japan. Um, yeah. Is Cronny's coaching you guys? He is, yeah. Tell me a bit about what it's like working with him, because he's he's very well regarded in Australia. And from I've only met him a couple of times, but from the peripheries, it seems like a bit of a loss for us. Yeah. How how's he going? How's he enjoying it? What's it like working with him again? Um, yeah, I was I was very excited as soon as you know Connie contacted me and asking if I was keen to come over. Um, obviously. You know, his, his success speaks for itself um, as a coach with Norse. And then even when he comes to the task, we made, you know, he wasn't a head coach, but we had a huge amount of success with the, some of the stuff he did. And um, no, he hasn't probably got the fair share of stuff here at, at, at Toyota because, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they had this, a guy who was caught in possession of cocaine. So um, they shut the whole program down and then he, got it started again and then um and then COVID hit and then now he's kind of started again this preseason then COVID sort of interrupted it again so you know I kind of feel bad for the bloke because as you know um, he's probably one of the biggest footy guys I was just going to say that I've heard a couple of interviews that he's done and he just sounds like yeah. he loves rugby and, yeah. and for those guys not coaching directly is probably almost like a kind of punishment for them yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the best word for it. Like, it'd be a punishment for him because all he wants to do is coach, um, and he's completely thrown himself into it over here. And you know, it's I, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he can, like, his passion for the game is contagious. Like, you feed off it, and you know, to have something like that taken away from him, you can see he's kind of struggling with it, but. Um, look, I hope I hope we get get it on track and we can we can put it on the field because the way he brings the team together and you know the respect he shows to guys and and everything like that makes you really want to play for the bloke. So um, I just hope we can get on the field and have some success for him. Is is Steve Hansen still there? Mate, he's here, but he he's not here. Like he he basically is an he's an advisor role, so. You know, I think he was meant to be over here, but with COVID and the state of emergency in Japan, they're, they're not allowing even visa holders in. So I don't know if he can actually get in at the moment, but um, I haven't met him in person yet. He spoke on a couple of Zoom meetings, but yeah, I think he's more there to coach sort of, he looks over the Zoom meetings and coaches, um, chrono, coaches are coaches type of thing. Okay. That'd be pretty cool for Crony to to have that. Um mm. Don't tell me exactly, but I was talking to Kane about this, and I, I don't want to know how much you make. But how, how much better is the money in Japan than Australia? Yeah, it's a lot better. Uh, so, 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 just say you're earning, just say you you get a hundred dollars in Australia. 
what would you get in Japan? You're probably looking at you're probably looking at two hundred bucks. Like you're probably looking at double what okay. you're getting. Plus uh, plus accommodation um, and a car. Uh, plus accommodation, we don't get cars. Yeah, um, which is surprising playing for Toyota, but um, you know, like the, they pay all our sort of all our bills. Basically, they give us a house. You know, they sort us out that way. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's, I'm it's, just trying to give people. I'm just trying to give people an idea on what it's like playing rugby overseas because you see a lot of people criticising guys that go overseas, and yeah. I just, I just trying to give people an understanding. Like if you, if someone offered you double the money to go and be a carpenter and live in Japan and have all your bills paid, anyone, yeah. anyone in their right mind's going to do that. Um, yeah. That's Look, the... if Stephen Hoyles gave me um, like when I was about 21 or 22 um, and I was, <clears throat> sorry, <coughs> um, right, I was playing at the, I was at the Tars, but I wasn't, Maybe it was a year that we won the final, but I wasn't in the team. We were just sort of playing at South and I was kind of, you know, he knew I was playing well, but he, he was like, yeah, behind Cliffy. And he's like, mate, you should just go to Japan for one or two years and get in front in life. And then, you know, if you want to come back, um, come back and, and like, you know, at least you don't have pressure of money and stuff like that. And honestly, I, that's, I really wish I took that advice, but you know, being being young and you know chasing the dream and stuff like that, all I ever wanted to do was play for the Waratahs and Wallabies, and um, or try to play for the Wallabies anyway. Um, well, and, you got you, know, you got as close as anyone could get without ever actually getting there. So you, you <laughs> yeah. so you you toured you toured with them, is that right? And then you you got injured, or yeah, toured with them. Um, no, you're, you're injured, the. T- you oh, played a like Wallaby a trial, didn't you? Yeah, played a Wallaby trial. Um, toured with them, been into a few camps with them, but unfortunately never got to wear the cap. But in terms of, you know, my career, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise because if you if you have an international cap, when you go to places like Japan, France, you're considered as a marquee signing and there's only a certain amount of people who uh sorry there's only a certain amount of marquee signings in each team so if i have one international cap and say i'm playing second row i'm now considered on the same playing field as your Brody ritali your sam whitelocks your kane douglas's or whatever you want to pitch up and that's how they see you so i'm considered as a non-capped player so there's a lot more positions that are open for, for guys like me i i don't want to talk too much about 2020 but I'm more interested in what people learned from it. How, how how did you find 2020? Let's let's start with personally, because from the outside or around the fringes of you looking in, it seemed like a good year for you. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people would say it was a good year, but it was it was hard, man. It was hard. A lot of change. Um, you know, but was that more was that more was that more footy related than life related? Oh well, I got married, got a got a little girl on the way as well, so we felt pregnant. So I was excited from that, but at the moment, yeah. like I'm currently separated from my wife. She's over in Florida, she's unable to get to Japan, and you know, the way the season is, like I tried to get over there a couple of times to go see her, but with the whole quarantine protocols coming back into um, Japan, they they 
the company were kind of a bit hard on that and they, they didn't want me going for a week and then missing two weeks again, uh, two weeks of training. So, yeah, man, it's been really hard, like, you know, and, and, you know, missing out on, you know, as we talk about footy, moving in a different direction from the Tars, you know, it was in the moment was quite hard for me, but, you know, it taught me, taught me a lot of things about myself and taught me that, you know, footy doesn't last forever. And, you know, it can almost be considered a, like a, a blanket for a lot of other issues going on or like for a long time, you know, for me, it was all, all about playing on Saturday and not much else would really, would really matter, you know, like, um, and then 2020 happened and footy was taken away and, you know, it made me really sit down and think about what am I, what am I going to do next? You know, and it's fucking scary. Um, I don't have many qualifications and um, yeah, just trying to work out my path after footy and, you know, it's still an ongoing thing, but, you know, props to my wife and stuff like that. We, we, tried a, a couple of different things and the way my mind thinks I'm constantly chopping and changing and yeah um you know as 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 everyone is but um you know it's it's starting to become a clearer picture now and um hopefully we sort it out this year and and 2020 looks brighter for everyone um 2021 um 2021 sorry what's have you got any idea what you want to do after 40 <laughs> it's, mean, one those, it's one of those. It's but um, it's, go on, sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say it's 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 a weird it's a weird sort of thing because you you get so much out of doing what you've done and the the memories you have and the the places you've been and the the life you've lived for really your whole twenties, and then to to jump into the real world is is quite scary. And you're going, look, I'm probably getting paid more than an average 20. How old are you now? 28? 28, yeah. Yeah, probably getting paid more than an average 28-year-old. And and you want to do something that's as fulfilling. Um, yeah. Have you got any interest in coaching? I do, yeah. So, I've, I've, like, I've looked at a lot of things from teaching, um, getting into a school system somewhere. Did, did some coaching while we were away. And I think... You know, it's hard to see my life, you know, without some sort of rugby in it, you know, because it's, it's all, all I've known really in terms of the sporting front. So I'll always be uh, involved in rugby. But uh, as you know, I did a bit of coaching, a bit of one-on-one stuff with kids at the start of the year and or during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Like, so, so you guys had 40% of your salary taken away. And, and sorry, sorry. no, sorry. Yeah, 70% at the start. Yes, 70% of your salary. And and I saw a lot of people put their head in their hands and go, oh, fuck, why me? And you know, get angry. But, and I'm sure you might have done that a little bit, but you kind of, you know, made lemonade out of lemons there. And tell us, tell us what you did. Cause I I went to one of your sessions with one of the kids and, and I saw quite a bit of it. I was pretty impressive, really. What, um, what did you end up doing? Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, to, like, to be honest, when it first happened, I think we all cracked open a couple of beers and sort of put our head in our hands and thought about what was going to happen next. But, um, again, like, 
it was kind of an opportunity for me to, um, you know, sit down and, and I needed to earn some money. Obviously, I had bills to pay and stuff to do. And, and the wage we were on, the way it was cut was not ideal uh, for someone who was 20, 27, 28 who had stuff to pay. So, um, yeah, basically, I did a bit of shameless self, <coughs> sorry, a bit of shameless self-promotion and chucked my name out there and, um, you know, offered a bit of one-on-one coaching just with kids, whatever ages, um, and just like our sessions. And, man, I honestly loved it. The start, I was shambles. Like, again, going back, all, the, the one of the things in rugby is you always have a manager or someone to run your life for you. You know, you, you know what each day is going to look like because someone's done that work. And in that, like I was, I started off with about, I think, four or five clients and I, I didn't write any of them down. I was like, no, nah, it's just a challenge for me to just remember stuff. And my missus is going like, you got to start writing these down. I was showing up to wrong venues and stuff like that. So I started to work it out on the fly and with the help from her. And um, it started to run, run quite well, I think I was up to about 20 to 25 clients a, a week. Um, so about 25 hours of coaching and created some, you know, some great little um, relationships there with with some of the kids. And, you know, one thing it showed me is like I have a, I really enjoy that side of footy. Like it, it gives you a different perspective. I, you know, I heard you talking about, you know, you retiring now and I'm, sure you're going into coaching I think a little bit um and it does it makes you think of the game in a different way and you know, if you break down the whole skill of things you look at why we do things a certain way and you know just trying to find ways to coach that and and comparing yourself on on coaches in the past and how you've liked to be coached and um just sort of feeling that out along the way was was really a cool little experience for me, and it's something I definitely want to pursue moving forward. Um, mate, yeah, I've I've jumped into coaching this year. I was gonna. It's weird. Retiring's weird. Like Southern Districts has been my life, my entire adult life. Like you're very similar. You've been there for a lot of it, and. I just thought, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've always wanted to be a coach. Like I find that side of the game so much more interesting. Like how, how to get a group of people to see what you see and, you know, like Matt Gibbon as opposed to like Tim Metcher, they're going to learn completely differently. Mm-hmm. And I just find that so interesting. But I think, but in, in another way, it's, it's kind of like I would like to be a professional coach one day, but, I'm just not sure that the jobs are going to be there, if that makes sense. And I, I don't want to rely on rugby for income. Yeah. Even though that's, I can't. That's very similar. Yeah. That's very similar to me. You know, like I love rugby. I want it to be a part of my life, but, you know, I also want to do other stuff and, and have a different identity for myself. Like for a long time, I've just been known as a rugby player and, um, you know, I know and I know a lot of people around me believe there's a lot more to me than that. Um, Absolutely. So I want to, I want to like, I want to really explore that thing, but I just don't know what that pathway or how to get to that pathway kind of looks like at the moment. So, yeah. Um, yeah it, it's, as you said, that, that side of it's scary. 
It's um, yeah, finding out what you want to do is hard. I think I think the only real way to do it is to try things and see if you like it. Um, yeah. From from my point of view, are you going to end up in the US? Do you reckon? Yeah, well, um, me and the missus just bought a house over there. Where we're setting that up. So as soon as the season's done here, I'll um, be going straight over there and um, hopefully either be welcoming a newborn baby or, or be coming straight over there and have it like Kaylee will already have it. So hopefully I'll get that timing right and be able to be able to be over there while that's all happening. And um, then we're going to, we're going to live in uh, Lakeland and, and, and feel that out. And, you know, Kaylee's been working hard on a, on a nice house there and, and it looks amazing. So I'm so excited for that, that side of it. I love American sport and, you know, love just exploring new things as well. I think if anything, you know, living in Japan and even Ireland last year, you know, new experiences, help you grow as a sort of person as as you would know travel travel's amazing thing and, and experiencing different cultures so um i'm super excited for for that side of things where where's lakeland uh down near tampa bay in florida oh mate that'd be fantastic i reckon yeah um tell me about munster so you spent a little bit of time at munster yeah how was that <laughs> again mate it's Unbelievable little, uh, I would say little, but unbelievable club. The Irish are uh, fantastic people. Um, and the Guinness was great as well. Um, How long were you there I, for? Like? Only only about three months. I was just there as a, like a, all their guys were at the World Cup. So I was on one of those uh, World Cup jokers or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough. Stephen Larkham just shot me a message one day, and he's like, "Will you would you be interested?" And I was like, "Fucking oath. <laughs> we'll see how we can go." Obviously, I had a few hurdles to jump over. You know, I had to get a, you know, the permission from Australian Rugby and the Waratahs <coughs> to let me go. And then, um, obviously, they I was there's a few other guys in the in the mix as well. But I was lucky enough to get that opportunity, and man, I absolutely loved it. Who, um, Absolutely how's, how's the rugby compare to Australia from your from your perspective? Is it is it more set piece orientated? Like, does the weather really have an impact on on how the game's played? It does, man. It does. Like they they love they love the tight stuff, and the game is so slow. Um, but man, they love it. Like they, oh, the first game I watched there. I think it was like a 10 to 9 or 10 to 7 score line. But, and it was in like pissing down rain, some of the worst conditions you'd, you'd see. But, and it was just a, you, you'd standard like 10 man rugby sort, sort of stuff. Like they just kicked the corners more, penalty goal. Um, and it was one of the worst, in my opinion, one of the worst games like I've ever watched. But then you leave the ground and you listen to the fans that were there and they were just constantly raving on about how good of a game it was, how good the battle and the contest was the whole time. And it's just their perspective of it. And it's, it's just different. Like there's a, there's, and as a, the more and more time I spend there, you kind of figure it out because there is a different beauty 
to that sort of game. Like it takes a real real mental strength to sort of stay in those games, like when you're playing them and, and um, you know, and really grind them out. And, and they, they honestly just love that side of footy. And they'd spend hours and hours on set piece line outs uh, and, and scrumming stuff. And the stuff that they taught me, you know, was something that I never learned at Waratahs uh, in eight years of footy. Okay, that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Um, how old were you? How old were you when you made your Tars debut? I think I was nineteen. Can you can you remember much from that day? Yeah. How? So sorry. I actually, sorry. No, no, you go, you go. I was uh, I was named on the in the bench. Cliffy got injured, and then that's funny. Check, check in one of the meetings. Kind of got up me. He's like, Jed, why aren't you in one of my offices telling me I'm a fuckwit for not picking you? I'm like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, fucking get a bit of edge about you. And then walked off out of the meeting. And then I think it was Horny or someone come up to me. He's like, so you're gonna go talk to him? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, I've as a player, I've always been like. I trust the coach to make the decisions on what he sees. Like I've never been a confrontational guy where I'm going to go bang my fist on the table and make a fuss out of things. I just thought me training would do it. So I'm a bit introverted like that. So I was kind of building myself up, pacing up and down the, up and down the uh, like hallways, trying to work up the courage to go sit down with this bloke and tell him that I want to play. Anyway, I finally got the thing and just, Asked him, I'm like, so are you going to give me an opportunity? He's like, yeah, you're on the bench this weekend. I was like, fuck, well, that was pretty easy. So he made you anyway. Ask, so he made you ask for it. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. And then, um, and then I sat on the bench that whole game, and man, I was so nervous. Um, and I didn't get on that first week, and then by the end of the game, I was just mentally and physically drained because I was just sitting there in my own head the whole time just trying to like build up the courage and um, it, it drained me. And then uh, it was kind of perfect for me because the next week I actually made my debut. And because I had that game where I just sat on the bench and, you know, went through all those experiences that sort of taught me for the next week what not to do. And I only got like nine minutes, I think, against the Western Force and, Man, it was one of the longest nine-minute period, nine-minute periods of my career, I reckon. But you know, I was one that was most memorable. I wore this disgusting Gilbert headgear, and I've never wore it. I've never wore a headgear. I, again I remember after. that one. I remember that one. Yeah, see, seeing myself on TV with with that, like with that on, I was like, oh my god, I can't be rocking this if I'm going to have a career in rugby. So you you grew up wanting to be a Waratah. Yeah, I did. When uh, you when you got there. How did how did you feel about it? Because you got there at a young age, and I'm just I'm kind of fascinated by this because you see a lot of people who achieve their lifelong dream, and it's it's maybe not as rewarding as they thought it was going to be. Like, how did you feel about it? Yeah, man, I I still remember getting offered my contract from um the like from the team uh, that whole process. Like, we had. 
I just, like, I remember it so clearly. Bladesy was our coach. I remember the coach sort of calling up Bladesy and Bladesy having a few sit-downs with me and just saying, don't get excited. They're asking about it, blah, blah, blah. And then um, my manager at the time said that <coughs> I'd been offered the, the gig and it was only an EPS contract. And you're looking at, at that stage, I think it was about like 35 grand for the year. Um, but still, like, I was over the moon, like, I'd, done a prof- like gonna be a professional rugby player and as you know like I'm I come from Yamba which was a, a small little country town up in up the far north coast there and I'd only been down in Sydney for sort of two years and all this was happening so quickly my whole rugby career and um to, to finally get that opportunity was an absolute dream of mine and I still remember the first day of training, we had to go to uh, Queen's Park to train instead of Centennial Parklands and um, yeah, Big Cliffy, Wycliffe Palu. I was, I've been looking up to him my whole career, like loved the way he played, um, everything. Never met the bloke before, but just loved the way he played. And first day of training, did my medical. We had to go to uh, the field to train, hadn't seen anyone yet. Walk out of the building, Cliffy walks out at the same time as me, and I'm like a 19 year old kid just trying to like size this guy up. And he just gives me like this big, like, like, hey, how you doing? But doesn't say a word. And then like walks to my car with me, and he's like, yeah, I'm jumping in with you. And I was like, fuck. It's like, have you seen the state of my car? I've got shit everywhere in here. I was like, as he's trying to get in the car, I'm like shoveling stuff into the back seat, trying to like, show that I'm a clean person, but we all know that I'm not. Um, me, neither, me neither, bro. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm just driving to this this place with a guy I've looked up to my whole career, just like trying to force conversation. And I probably sounded like an idiot, but I don't know. That's one of my best memories I've had. Um, and I remember training that session. I, I, I've never dropped so many footballs in my life. And, I just had the assistant coach, Alan Gaffney, come up to me afterwards and wrap, wrap his arm around me and just be like, it's all right, mate. We know you're nervous. So just get that one out of the way and get on with it. And mate, from that day on, I was, I was loving it. I'm fascinated by this. Do you still get nervous or has it become easier for you as, you, as, yeah. you've, got, as you've gotten older? In patches, I think. Um, in patches, you know, I think when you, you've solidified a position and um, it's kind of hard to say, but you know your position's safe in a team. Um, you, you gain a confidence about yourself where you don't become, I wouldn't say nervous, but you're, you're more excited to get out there and show what you can do. But I think, you know, in my situation where I've been in and out of the team at a Waratah level for, you know, the last sort of last two, three years I was there. So there was kind of always that side of anxiety and stuff. And I know people talk about, you know, we're not winning and stuff like that. So you're constantly anxious about stuff. And um, I think that brings nerves into it and, I know people will say, oh, you got to deal with that. you got to learn to deal with that shit and all that stuff. But, you know, you do worry about that side of footy. And, and at the end of the day, we all just want to play. And, you know, you, you, when you're in a position where you're not certain if you, your position's guaranteed, you, you, you do worry about it. 
when when I did the NRC at the Rebels, uh, I think the guy's name was Cam. He was the the Rupert liaison guy. Yeah. Lovely, lovely bloke. Um, he said to me, "This is one of the only jobs where you are judged every single day, every single week, on what you do, and it's not just your boss that judges you; it's the public as well." Yeah, which is a is a pretty weird thing, particularly in your early to mid twenties. In terms of like the mental side of the game, have you have you ever done any work with someone on that? Yeah, I've I've done a lot of worked with multiple um, multiple uh, sports psychologists um, around that side of the game, um, but more so more so working out my own sort of stuff. Like I'm. I never, never thought I was one to always, you know, try work out what I'm feeling. But I had a, I had a mate take his own life a few years ago, and and that kind of brought me in in touch with like constantly worrying about um, like the way I'm feeling um, and how that's affecting me. So I, yeah, I've, I've worked with probably like five or six, six different sort of sports psychs or, or even just normal psychologists just trying to work out what's going on. So I, I, I find that a very important side to not only the game, but in terms of, as you said, like you're always uncertain around the, the football side of things and um, just your, your general lifestyle and, and finding a balance away um, from footy if if that isn't uh, going right. Um, like for me, coming here, my, my balance has always been um, my spearfishing and my surfing back in Sydney and, and coming to you know, Nagoya in Japan where both those things are taken away from me. The, the first month here was a massive challenge, you know. Just my life was like footy and at home and I didn't have, you know, my wife here or, or, or mates that I was really comfortable with to sort of take that pressures away from me. And, um, you know, it was, it was a challenge and, you know, I had to speak to sports psychs or <coughs> um, just to sort of go through those emotions and um, regulate the way I was feeling. So um, I honestly encourage that stuff with with anyone in particular like i think it's so important um particularly with blokes our age like you're a couple of years younger than me so i shouldn't say our age you're getting there yeah but but i i look at elite sport and i'm sort of fascinated by how it all works and if you look at all the top rugby teams in the world they're all pretty much playing the same footy they're playing they're all similar athletes so surely an edge that people can get is getting more on the mental side of things. Yeah. And I, I think it's getting better, but I still think we could do more with that. When you're talking, when, when you're dealing with these guys, is it more just getting stuff off your chest or do they give you like processes and, and things that you can do like meditating or, you know, time away from your phone or, or things yeah. like that? No, they give, they give you, uh, they work on process and routine, I think, is a big one that I find. Um, sort of recentering yourself, which is some sort of, uh, sort of med- meditation, I guess. Like, you know, you can go, what do you see, hear or smell or feel? Like, 
you sort of bring, bringing you back like, to the moment type thing yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. dwelling in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like when, when I'm on that anxious side and say I just knocked on a footy or something, like yeah, anyone does it, you fucking go, shit, why did I do that? And like, yeah, you'd feel bad about yourself. And then it's like, right, yeah, I'll bring myself back to center and focus on, you know, the next 10 seconds and how I can uh, have a positive impact now um, instead of dwelling on what's in the past. Because as we know, rugby's a pretty fast-flowing game. If you're, if you're 10 seconds behind everyone or thinking about what you did in the past, then you're going to miss out on a lot of things moving forward. So um, I think, as to your point, I think it's a massive area which is still untapped. Like, There's only been a few teams where, you know, there's been that... that you know, sports psychologists actually ready available um, to guys. And only until recently, like, you'd have to go ask the team doctor or um, the Rupa guy for a sports psychologist. And and for rugby players, or well, even males in general, that's a hard thing to do where we're all a bit prideful and, you know, we're, we want to see be seen as this big alpha, um, but you know it's in, it's so important to have that that side of things tapped in because I've I've seen I've seen guys you know fall apart and and completely go fall off the radar because they haven't had that side you know ready to go. I'm I've almost had it multiple times because. Um, you know, I've gone off the, the rails a bit and then had to be brought back to centre, you know, just from a mental standpoint. Um, so I think, I think it's so important. And as you said, like, it's, it's something that can be grown and, and um, definitely be offered as an edge um, in teams around the world. Tell me about spearfishing. <laughs> yeah. where, did that, where did that start? I've always wanted to... I, I see your Instagram videos when you're back here and I always got jealous and I was, I was like, I wanted Jed to take me out one day. Hey, how'd you get into it? How did you start? It's, it's something I've always done. Um, my old man taught me years and years ago. We kind of grew up around the water and um, it's just something that we've always done, especially down in the, in the national park there down near our cabin. Um, fishing and, and spear fishing and surfing is, is kind of just a part of our lives and um, yeah dad learned a couple of the hard way I, I speared him a couple of times with my did, with my hand you? spear growing up yeah <laughs> accidentally but oh, of like, course of course <laughs> yeah but um yeah I, he, he definitely taught me basically everything I know and you know going around era all the, all the lobsters you see I get are all from holes that you know, either he's shown me or or granddad's passed down to him that now I, I use. So it's all like a, a cycle of just being passed down the line, really. And, man, I love it. Like, in, in terms of feeling present and, and focus on what's in front of you, there's I don't think there's many other sports other than spearfishing where all you can do is focus on your breathing and and you got to have a clear mind, otherwise you're thinking about sharks or something, or if there's a fish in front of you, all you want to do is try to get that fish. So for me, who's a bit of a head case, I, I love that side of things in terms of 
it brings me back to the present. I can hear all the cool sounds under the water and, you know, you get a nice feed of, uh, feed of seafood afterwards. What's the biggest shark you've ever seen? <laughs> Mate, I haven't seen any big ones <clears throat> and really no dangerous ones either. It's just all the little dog sharks that sit in, in um, or wobbygongs that sit in lobster holes that you have to kind of pull out. But other than that, there's there's been nothing dangerous, but it's always in the back of your mind. Oh, I'm sure it would be. I'm sure it would be, especially being as big as you are. They probably think you're a seal or something. <laughs> Look at that delicious seal. Um, tell me about Ira. Yeah. Um, so Ira is a, a little spot which has been sort of passed down through my family for a, a long, long time. My pop built it in the Depression years in the 1930s. My, my uncle and my old man, you know, know a lot more than me about it, but it's a where, where it's is a, it where is it uh it's just in the royal national park south of south of sydney there um you know like you've walked through there it's you feel like you're completely separated from you don't feel like you're 30 minutes away from sydney um i've got photos of it just here with me just to make sure like i yeah, I remember the place but the good thing about that joint is you know those there's a cabin community of about 150 people. They've known me since I was a, a snotty-nosed kid. And I remember when I was like 18 or 19, starting to sort of feel my way out as a teenager or, or as a young man. And I was starting to get a bit big for my boots. And um, I was wrestling one person down there, pissed one day and um, thinking I'm a big dog, just got a super rugby contract. And then one of the one of the guys down there, um, I was like, righty, you think you're big for your boots? I'll take you on. And he was about four foot 11, like this little nugget. I was like, I've got this guy. And wrestled him and he absolutely put a clinic on me and got on top of me. I had braces at the time. And he got on top of me and like jabbed his elbow into my face. I just remember like sitting in the corner afterwards, like peeling my top loop off my braces. I'm like, righty, <laughs> I'm never going to do this down this place again. And it's the best thing for me, like, going back down there they don't they don't worry about you know who you are or what you've done it's it's who they know you are as a person and good times and bad it's always been a, a place for me where i go around my people and just recenter myself so for for anyone who might be listening um they probably the era people probably don't want you to go there but <laughs> yeah. you, you got to drive all the way into the national park and then it's what is it a 15 minute walk I will say it's an hour walk. Huh? Yeah, it's an it's an hour walk, so it's totally isolated. <laughs> but um, man, having a place like that would be such a breath of fresh air. I I knew you used to go down there a lot. I only went there a couple of times, but it's something I wish I did more. Um, and mum and dad are always down there, so if you go walk through, go give them a shout, and I'm sure dad will hopefully get a couple of beers there. Uh, you just sparked my memory. One of, one of the things we have in common is we've both got crazy mothers. Um, <laughs> can I do a, can I do a piss, Chubby? I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Good, bro. Yeah. Um. Yeah. One of the things we've both got in common is we've both got. I said crazy before, but let's say <laughs> let, let, that's probably not doing justice to crazy people. Let's say uh, out there, mothers. I I noticed when you left, your mum wrote a comment on a Facebook thing that the Tars did. And then it turned into a Daily Telegraph article. And <laughs> th thankfully, I couldn't read it because those fucking idiots make you pay for it. 
<laughs> were you were you aware of that? Or like, or, or how stupid is the world that we live in, where a mother is defending her son? Let's say defending. She was probably given the tars a little bit of grief. Yeah. And then it becomes a newspaper article. <laughs> did you? Did you? Were you aware of that? Did you make much of it? No. Look, I I was aware of what she said, and she made some other comments originally. And I had to where she named a few people, but I had to uh, give her a quick call and tell her. Don't we got to right. remember. <laughs> we got to remember. Like we got to remember. Like you know. I may come back to Sydney and I may see these people down the track. So like, let's yeah. not bury people or individuals entirely. Um, but look, I, I was aware of, of what she said and uh, it's, it's crazy that it ended up in the paper. They probably thought it was a reflection of the way I was feeling. And, and to be honest at the time it, it, it was, um, but you know, my mum just cares. My family care. Like they're all hurt we're all hurt uh, by that whole scenario and which I think we're over now. Like, let me be on the record saying now, like I love the Waratahs. I want nothing but success for the team. Um, I love all the blokes there, um, but we're, we're just hurt by the whole scenario. And um, I love, I love my mum for her passion she shows and uh, the way she will have no shame in, in, just completely dropping that stuff on Facebook, you know, it's something that I wouldn't do, but um, you know, she's she's good for that. Well, I, I must admit, reading it, I I think she was spot on from from my point of view. You you, you can't say that I I can, and um, I just think it's fucking crazy that a mother's Facebook comment is now national news. But yeah. I wanted to ask you, we'll talk about Southern Districts in a second. What's it like being a Waratah in Sydney? In terms, of, in, ter- in terms of off the field stuff, because you guys, like I was talking to Taff about this, when when you guys won the Super Rugby tournament and you were kind of on the fringes at that time, you, you had full houses every week and then all of a sudden, you know, you have less than ideal results. You lose a couple of games, win a couple of games, sort of a mixed bag and then everyone buries you and there's no crowds. And are the boys aware of that? How does that how does that affect guys who are in the squad? Um, look, I'm sure guys who want that side of footy in terms of being recognised and stuff like that might it might affect them. But for me, no, it was. I guess the the frustrating thing for me was. Just the, the fan support, I think, you know, that it's such a busy town, Sydney, like travelling around, you know, you, you see other places and you see them having a small amount of teams and you, you wonder why, like, Sydney can't support their rugby teams or, or their teams in general like they support them, but they've just got so many sporting teams on offer there that they choose to support the, the team that's, you know, winning. Um, and, and that's you know, the case with the Tars as well. Like if, if you're winning, they'll show up, but if you're losing, they, they just won't. Um, and I think that was the most, you know, frustrating thing for me was just the fact that, you know, the, the thing I loved about Southern Districts is, you know, no matter who you're playing, you'd have the same, the same people show up. 
um, fourth grade hill would always be packed with lunatics and um, Put my you hand just up there. enjoy you really enjoy playing for those people and and to have such an and you enjoy creating those relationships with with those guys and you love turning up and putting on the jersey for them and I think that's one thing that lacks is that sort of culture side of the Tars is is it's not really there like you you don't have that relationship with with the with the fans enough to to really have that close relationship to show them what it means for you to wear that jersey um so i think that's probably the the hardest thing about it all is is you know is not having that consistent fan base that you can really show that you want it for it's it's constantly changing and um it's constantly based off results which you know as you, as i say you know probably should be like that like why should they pay 50 bucks for their family to come out if they know it's going to be a shit result so um yeah it's kind of a hard one for me to be honest yeah um let's change the subject you brought it up before southern districts uh how did you end up at southern districts um so my old man played for port hacking back in the day uh he raves on about how his the success of port hacking but all his mates tell me a different story so i don't know who to believe there um but he that was kind of the main reason why i I wanted that like i wanted to sort of follow in the same path the path as my old man all my old man's mates played for played for south um kane who i grew up with uh was playing played for south at the time so i wanted to sort of follow his path and, 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 you know, learn off him more. And one of the, I went to watch one of the Southern districts grade. I think they invited me to come watch a grade game and come talk to Kano and stuff like that. And I was with, with one of my dad's mates and I was either out of Southern districts or Sydney uni. And one of his mates go, you don't want to look like a fucking bumblebee when you play rugby, do you? So I was like, right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to South. So, um, yeah, it was it was never in doubt really for me. Like I also had close mates, you know, Alex Gibbon, who was going to South as well. Um, so I wanted to sort of stay with them and, you know, follow, like go through that journey with them. Um Tell me about, well, something I've always admired about you is even when you were like a regular starter for the Waratahs, you'd still come down to South whenever you could uh, during the week. You'd help out with line outs. You'd come for a beer after a Tars game. You'd, you'd just be, hang around the boys. What what impact has South had on you? Yeah, I think like similar to, similar to, as I talk about with the era, you know, it's, it's, mingling with people or like being with people who just love, you know, life or love footy. You know, a lot of our guys at South, you know, work from, you know, six to three or six to four on the tools and then show up and train all like all night basically. And, you know, get along with life. And I love, you know, seeing that side of footy. I think that's, What's what I like about Japan also, these guys are working full-time jobs and they just love turning up because they love footy, you know. And I think in Australian rugby that can almost be lost sometimes. Um, you know, 
guys lose sight in what's actually important in footy and that's hanging out with your mates and having a beer afterwards. Um, you know, some people find it uh, will have different stories, but all my best memories are surrounded by a good win and then having a good, you know, beer and um, just talking shit with my mates after the game or my mates and family after the game and, and, and really being in that moment. And, and, you know, I think for a long time there with myself as well, um, you, you lose that side of footy and um, you lose what's actually important. <clears throat> Throw a few people under the bus here. Who's, who's the best partier you've come across at Southern District? I think me and you both know the answer to that. It's got to be uh, Rob James. I've never seen. I've. I've uh, hard, it is hard to say. I've. I've actually met some ridiculously good parties over my time. But for someone as consistent over a long period of time, like we grow out of things as we get older. But for someone who just hasn't changed a single bit, gone through many girlfriends, it's. Um, it's unbelievable his consistency in that area. He, he is a world class partier. I, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to give it to him. He's he's one of my best friends, and he's an absolute right to be around. But I just I can't keep at that level. Like you're, you can, you have a level you can go to, uh, which is you know quite impressive. And I feel I'm kind of the same. But Pony's consistency over about 15 years is is world class. <laughs> I reckon he's gonna hate this, but it is what it is. Pain. Um, I've got a few random questions for you. Just mm-hmm. part of why I wanted to do this is sort of give guys an insight into the characters behind that the player, if that makes sense. So, I'm gonna ask you some random shit. What's your favorite movie? Um, my favorite movie. I have to go off recent ones. I'll say Interstellar. Okay, haven't seen that one. Uh, co- you're a coffee guy? Yeah. Uh, what kind of coffee do you drink? And have you found a good place in Japan yet? Uh, <coughs> there's a couple of decent ones, but nothing beats Australian coffee. Um, I, I tend to go for a strong latte. Um, do you listen to podcasts? I do-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Any you'd recommend? Mate, it's, it's pretty like I listen to Joe Rogan and then just American sort of Pat McAfee stuff like around sports and yeah, I'm a Pat McAfee uh, fan. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, and the Wandering Bear podcast. Yeah, course. Wandering Bear Sport. Mate, 700 followers in two days. Yeah, um, laughing. Unbelievable. Um, what's your favorite food? Excluding lobster that you catched. <laughs> Mate, funny enough i'm not a big lobster fan i just like catching it and giving it to other people but uh but i love i love i love these uh salmon poke bowls that my missus used to make but now being in japan and constantly having abundance of fish and rice and stuff like that i wouldn't probably say it's my favorite now i'd, lo- I'd kill for a good steak and Steak, garlic, broccoli, and mashed potato at the moment. Beautiful. Who's the best rugby player you've ever played with? In terms of just strictly footy? Strictly footy. It has to be, um, yeah, 
has to be Kurtley in terms of just flat out talent and um, his ability to just flip a game on its head. It'd have to be Kurtley. If you could have a beer with anyone, uh, any walk of life, who would it be? Mm. It'd have to be LeBron James. <clears throat> He's more of a wine guy, but he would be. <laughs> um, last thing, bro, and I'll let you go. I really thank you for doing this. What advice would you give your 18 year old self? Um, don't be scared to take risks I think would be the best would be the best advice um, I think I've followed the path of you know what others have kind of wanted me to do for a long time and um, I think at the moment I'm just kind of going off what I wanted to do or what's best for me and my family um, and that's involving taking a few risks. So um, I wish I knew that when I was when I was younger. So I wish I was more inclined to do that when I was younger. Sorry, mate. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. It took me till thirty-two to start taking some risks. So yeah, you're ahead of me there. Um, Bray, where can people find you on on the socials? On Instagram, bro. Um, just Jed one two is my just thing. Jed. So if you want to get around me, get around me. Um, but yeah, I'm basically just on Instagram, and I do use Twitter, but I, I don't post or anything on there. So probably just Instagram if we can. Beautiful, mate. I think we've done well. Rightio, bro. What's What's on the rest of the day? <laughs> um, how, how are you getting food, by the way? Uh, this is a good thing to add in, actually. So the Japanese government, if you're if you're a COVID victim or whatever you want to call it, if you're a crook with COVID, the government deliver breakfast, lunch, and dinner off to your house. Yeah. In like bento boxes or meals, free of charge. So they don't charge you anything. They just make sure that you don't leave the house. They give you everything you need. They give you water, food. What about the other? Th- what about the other three meals during the day? <laughs> Well, as you can see, I'll probably look a bit slim at the moment, so I probably need to get on the scales and make sure I haven't lost any weight. Man, I'm, I'm liking the beard too, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah, so like with me, when I'm locked in my house just doing highlight videos and don't see anyone all week, I'm like, why the fuck would I shave? Mate, I'm a bit disappointed in the in the bear cave. I thought you'd have like a flag or something up on the wall while you're oh, doing these podcasts. Yeah, Kate's Kate, the, the owner of Caffeine Gum Australia... Um, great sponsor for this podcast. She made me like this flag. You know, you can have Zoom backgrounds. Yeah. So, you, so I've got one that I could put on here, but I just, I just keep forgetting to do it. <laughs> well, just need to hang up that like that wandering bear shirt in the background or something. Yeah, I should do that. I should do that. Yeah. Um, Instead of your fern on the wall, oh, mate. Between two ferns, I think I've got two. Got two. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching that on YouTube recently. I don't know why. That just shows you how bored I am. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, that's better. That's better. My stupid thing. Um, cool, bro. When uh, when no, am I going to see you again? Mate, hopefully. So me and Kaylee, we're going to do. Are you having a boy? Are you having a boy? By the way. A girl. Yeah. A girl. girl. Okay. Let's hope, congrats. Let's hope congrats, she looks like Kaylee. Eh? 
doesn't look like Olivia or someone or my other sister. Well, actually, that was something I was going to ask you. And we could put all this in anyway. How come you're the only one, you're the only boy in the family and you're the only one with any athletic ability of your siblings? <laughs> Who knows, mate? The postman may have paid a visit to my mum during the way, but <laughs> no, I don't know. My, my, old, my old man was a, he tells me he was a state sprinter. So I, I, I don't know where the athletic genes come from, but I'm, I'm glad I've got some that. You watch you're, the only sibling, you're the only sibling <laughs> that got it. <laughs> yeah, you watch Olivia run around on a footy field and she goes hard, but uh, God, it looks painful, her running. So everyone says we run alike, okay. though, but one just moves quicker than the other. You're just, you're just 50 metres ahead of her. <laughs> Man, I, if people listening to this who've seen me run will be like, that fucking idiot is giving anyone shit about their running. <laughs> it, was, it was like you and Tafu talking about the Reds' kicking strategy the other day. Oh, wait, I was... <laughs> He was he was really good to talk to, but I was so nervous. Like I've talked to him a few times, but I was I was like, "Fuck this!" He's coming on, and like I don't know him like I know you, so I was a little bit nervous yeah. to talk to him. But but he he was good. So I I cut you off before. Are you, are you planning on coming back to Oz at all? Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe in like August or September, I think we're gonna go. So we're gonna go home, and then we're, I think we're still planning on doing like. Maybe like a vow renewal or something, or like a party back in Australia, depending on whether shit goes ahead or what the coronavirus looks like. But we're definitely he- planning on heading home and seeing everyone, and then before the season starts back up over here. So um, one thing I'd really love to do is try to get my hundred games first grade for South. Um, I think I'm about eight games short. So oh yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a dream that I'd I'd love to fulfil and and get that and. And then, um, but yeah, if I if I'm playing back in in Australia, it, it'll only be for South, I'd imagine. Um, man, I'm sure you'd be welcome back. Yeah. I got I got this theory about anyone that stays at Southern Districts for a long time. And if you if you look at, so you've been there pretty much as long as I have, and anyone that stays there for a long time is tends to be a bit of a lunatic, <laughs> in some way or another. Otherwise, Who they could just you know. Oh, man, I got a Seattle Seawolves prop. He's probably exhibit A. <laughs> well, you you bought you bought a couple of them up before, and you know, Mister Alex Gibbon. Yeah. Oh, who else could we throw under the bus? Rob James has been there fifteen years. Surely, Smarties. There's some. He paints a perfect picture, but um. The reality sure is, the, <laughs> yeah. the reality is far less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and bad, I can't talk. I've, I'll never leave the place. <laughs> it's the only place I've been where I've ever felt truly at home, and that probably says a lot about the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shows shows the quality of people in there for sure. Oh, mate, good people, good people. I've been fucking going crazy hard. Yeah, yeah. Mate, you know the you know the people that I hang around with. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's 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 almost harder to avoid it than it is to yeah, 100%. you know like mate. There was I, I've been trying because I've I've became a bit of a fat cunt over Christmas. Like I got to 120 yeah. 123 kilos. You know, just fucking disgraceful. Just eating pasta and beers, beers every day. And I, I kind of went on this like track my calories type thing. Yeah. And I'm down about six kilos now, but if I want to lose weight, I've got to have like 2,400 calories a day. 
I yeah. track my calories all day. I have a thousand left at about four in the afternoon on a Thursday. Our friend Rob James, who lives literally 200 meters away from me now. That's your hey, first issue. Yeah. Well, he moved, he moved here. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I'm like, fuck, that's not good for my health. But uh, he's come over for a beer and I'm just sitting there on Thursday. I've got no work to do. I'm fucking bored out of my mind. Kate's teaching or something. Like, yeah. fuck, righto. I end up going like 3,000 calories over for the day. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the Starlight Foundation. You've done a lot of work with them for a long time. How, how did you get started and involved with them? Yeah, so um, when I was younger, um, sorry, my, my family, my cousin uh, passed away from leukemia when I was younger, um, when he was when he was 21. Uh, and, you know, he was kind of the closest thing he he stayed with our family quite regularly and um you know my my auntie wasn't really um wasn't really that wealthy at the time and i didn't have quite the money to support so they stayed with us quite a fair bit so um and i could be getting some of this wrong because uh, i was quite young but um starlight at the time you know along with many other foundations found ways to help him and, and our family out um but you know when i when i kind of started off getting into rugby and um went into you know the waratahs and and kind of working out how what to do differently like in terms of what what am i going to be outside of football as well um our rupert guy we had an unreal one at the time they're all unreal but the one we had lachlan McBain. um He's an unreal bloke. I still chat to him to this day. He's worth a shout out. So um, he he kind of got me in touch with the Starlight guys and, and they sort of found out the story behind why I wanted to get involved. And we've kind of been ambassadors. I've been an ambassador for them ever since. Although I don't really feel like one lately because of COVID sort of sh not shut us out, but has sort of restricted everything um, that we can do there. But, you know, the an amazing foundation. Like you could only imagine what they're having to do for families at this time where everything's locked down, like the, the staff that they do, like they're unbelievable. They're the stuff that they do, but you know, that getting involved with, with that sort of stuff. And um, the boys, you know, have always on, you know, just touched on my teammates here at the, at the TARS as well. Like, especially in recent times, whenever I'd try to organise something like a Christmas party or, or something like that, like I've never had a teammate to um, toss their nose up at something like that or or, um, or not want to do anything like that. Like whenever we've done stuff from, you know, boys learn a whole song um, of The Greatest Showman to sing for the kids at Starlight. Like you can imagine there's quite a 30 super rugby guys who – all have agendas on themselves to put themselves up on a stage in front of, you know, kids and families who they, they wouldn't have a clue who they are and, and, and sing a song that they're very uncomfortable with singing. It just goes to show like the, the, the stuff that some of these guys are made from. So, you know, that they've been great and, you know, representing Starlight, something that's, you know, very important to me and my family. So um, yeah, I love doing it. If people want to donate, is there? Well, I'll find the link and just share it when I share this. But 
starlightfoundation.com.au, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure. It's, um, I'll, I'll, I'll normally, I normally have it on my um, I normally have it on my uh, Instagram there. So, um, to be honest, as I said, I've kind of been a missing sort of ambassador this last year because of everything that's been going on, um, which is a bit shit for me. But um, I can chuck one up there, or or I'll send one off to you just in case if anyone wants to donate. Like they'll they'll really love your support, and it goes such a long way with these guys. Um, you know the the stuff they do in hospitals is is really amazing work so any support would be greatly appreciated you're a good man jed holloway okay guys that's the end of today's episode if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to check us out on youtube or on the apple podcast store or on spotify make sure to subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest episodes and if you want to check us out on instagram it's at wandering bear sports or on facebook at wandering bear sports Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week.